warning. This podcast occasionally contains strong language, which may be unsuitable for children, and contain heavy topics which may be offensive to some listeners. This recording is intended for mature audiences only. Trigger warnings are placed in the description. Thank you for listening. Welcome aboard, Captain. I will begin enabling transmissions right away. We have hijacked the signal. The star jammer is transmitting at 100%. Broadcast countdown begins now. Episode 2 today of Transient Planet Reads Books. Today we're talking about A Roadside Picnic, The Tale of Troikia, written by uh, Arkady and Boris Strugoski, uh, 1972. And we'll go ahead and start the, uh, the conversation with uh, George and Gracie. I think you're going to start it with me and George just because we could not get past a certain... Well, I, we just couldn't get we into just, the book. I don't know. I don't know if I need to honestly give this a second chance, and I probably will. But I could not get past the interview because they sounded so angry when we were listening to the audiobook of this. Like it was, we were so confused. Like, why are you so angry? <laughs> the Russian, <laughs> but I'm and possibly like possibly be, just because that it's. Um, they just talk, they just, I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with this, but... Um, like, you know, starting the book with the interview, I was like, okay, it's our interview. That's a, new, that's a new take for me. But I'm like, they start talking about all these parts. I'm like, the hell are y'all talking about? <laughs> like, aliens? Okay, aliens happen. Okay. And like, it's like, oh, yeah, we're talking like, about technology. Oh, that's not my thing. All right, so like to, for a little background on... Yeah, so, I was going to say, like, please, I don't know yeah. if I just need on it, like an honest, like, yeah. insight to this, background to this, I... So the, yeah. um, the book itself is a science fiction dystopian novel. It's very heavy on philosophy. Um, it uh, published, again, like I said, 1971. It helped inspire um, the 1975... 1975 film Stalker by Andrei Tarkovsky, uh, which eventually evolved into the Stalker games, uh, which were predominant in the early 2000s. Um, and again, uh, a lot of this book, the the initial interview is the the coming down of the aliens and the visitation with quotation marks of the aliens, and then leaving what they call the zones. Um, so the zones in the book are strange, strange areas that were when the aliens visited, um, they have anomalies. So they have what in some cases they call the bug traps, the hell slime, um, so on and so forth. And so we, we, we follow the main character, Red, uh, what was his last name? Uh, Shuhart. Shuhart. Yeah. Redrick Shuhart, or AKA Red. 
Okay. So the the first uh, so the first interview that we get is actually the the scientists who were part of when the visitation happened, and so you know they talk about energies and like the potentials of changes of why when the aliens came like how the world will change and stuff like that. And when they talk about energy, the one physicist is like, oh yeah, that's not my department. I don't know anything about energy. That's why. That's why it sounds so weird. Because it starts literally with an interview with two scientists, then the entire point of view shifts down to rhetoric. Uh, uh, yeah, because uh, like I said, like I started with the interview, uh, and there were so many things like they were talking about, and I was like, okay, but what do they mean? And to me, they didn't really explain anything, anything at the beginning, so I was like, what's going on? Yeah. And to me, like, you know, inform me, okay, that the visitation happened, this is a post-visitation world, and they're dealing with the technology that, that they left behind, but still don't know how they got there or how, why they left after just two days. Yeah, and, and that's the whole mystery behind it, is that they don't understand why the aliens came and left so quick. So that that's one of the predominant, you know, predominant themes of the of the book is the visitation why? The vis you know why and uh, people become you know quote unquote stalkers or uh, you know they they venture into the zone for treasures unknown because you know they think the aliens left something behind so, well, so. They, they, they will find artifacts and sell them uh, yeah because that'll make more money than actually working yeah because the guy will say like oh two months wages for this I'll do it yeah, yeah, and, and again, you know, because the when we follow Redrick in the first part of the book, he's only eighteen, right? Eighteen or nineteen, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Um, he's about eighteen or nineteen, and he just started with the Institute of Technology within the the town. I forget the name of the town; it escapes me. Um, and he's working with his colleague Kirill, and Kirill is a noted scientist. He 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 describes the scientists being like very very sad like kind of a, a sullen puppy dog but by this point we the little that we learn about red going forward is that he's done jail time for being a stalker oh wow um, okay. you know so he he changed his life with quotation marks he became part of the Institute of Technology so that way he can help advance the world with quotation marks even though he hates it he hates working there <laughs> okay is there anything you want to bring uh, into this? Yeah, I mean, um, <laughs> yeah, the, the initial interview kind of threw me for a loop. I can understand where the author was kind of um, thrusting you into this world. I think he might have expected you not to know anything and be kind of confused, but also a little bit intrigued by, um, you know, these kind of unknown themes and things mm -hmm. like that. Um, he also does use a lot of, uh, I guess, nicknames for things. All of the characters seem to have nicknames. You have Red, mm -hmm. um, you have uh, various stalkers getting like a vulture, yeah. uh, four eyes, four eyes, uh, uh, Goofy, well there's a blue eye, or what was the name? Raspy. Raspy, yeah, um, and you know, they, basically they 
earned these nicknames because they lived more than like six months to a year oh, wow. in, okay. in, in the zones. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, yeah, like these zones, they came from like some star system and are apparently like a, kind of a straight line, like almost a gunshot through the earth um, and hit in a kind of a parametric curve along this this plane, right, on the earth. So like certain cities got hit um, and those zones, as they say, um, had alien tech in there. So it was obviously very valuable. They had stuff like that could provide, uh, what was it? Uh, oh, uh, there was a perpetual battery. Perpetual motion, yeah. yeah perpetual motion, the, the infinite batteries, mm-hmm. uh, and, uh, you know, some some of the items that the stalkers pulled from this place. Yeah, jewelry, this yeah. scientific stuff that nobody really understood what it did, and then they, uh, but it was very valuable, and they would use it to, you know, perpetuate war and stuff like that, like weapons of mass destruction and shit. Yeah. Um, so, like, all of that stuff is very valuable to the government, right? So, getting it on the black market uh, is very valuable, but it's also hard to come by, right? Because they have these zones, whether intentional or not, they have, like, all these booby traps, essentially. So they have, like, um, I think one of the first... Uh, part of the book, you probably heard it, was like this silk thread, silver thread that is in the garage, right? So they have to, uh, Red sees it, but he's kind of like, eh, yeah, I think that was there. I usually only come at night, but like, I don't know, maybe, maybe, maybe it's nothing. Yeah. And then, uh, what is his name? Kendrick? Kirill. Kirill? Yeah, okay. Kirill. Yeah, Kirill, he's kind of a up-and-comer, Red really no, he, admires him. I he, think. he was a scientist. He was a yeah. scientist that, that uh, Red worked with. Um, the the up-and-comer was uh, a young officer that, that uh, Kirill, like, um, vouched for. No, nah, he wasn't an up-and-comer. Kirill, he, he, like, Red really bonded, I feel, yeah. with Kirill, because when he died, he really took that yeah, hard. But the other guy you saw as like an income poop, essentially. Yeah, the one punch in the nose. <laughs> yeah, he was, uh. Uh. T- t- you, he was. Turnt or something, something with a T, I forget. Yeah. It was, you know, he didn't. He's like, stop. He's a nervous talker. And yeah. Fred was like, I said, or Red essentially like hit him in the nose. <laughs> like, yeah. and, uh. <laughs> He's like, shut the fuck up <laughs> when <laughs> yeah. I tell you to shut up. Yeah, um, yeah I got to that. I went past that part. Yeah. Yeah, so like, you know, he's essentially an expert in this, like, crawling through minefields and stuff like that for invisible traps. The, yeah, shit. the invisible traps laid in the zone. Because mm-hmm. uh, um, uh, as you find out later as the book continues, Red is a seasoned stalker. Mm-hmm. Um, there are others, like older members, that you'll meet across the, the book as it goes along. Um, and the book never makes note of the actual acronym of the word stalker. Uh, but the acronym actually stands for scavengers, trespassers, adventurers, loners, killers, explorers, and robbers. That is a mouthful. That is. <laughs> That's why, hence the term stalker. I think in the, in the afterword, though, on the book at least, they say that... The, uh, when they were writing uh, Roadside Picnic, the 
term soccer was never brought yeah. up until like later. later revisions, like very late, almost yeah. until its release. And it was taken from like some. Uh, it was film a Richard Kipling. Yeah, it was a Richard Kipling book, uh, Mowgli, mm-hmm. and they call him Stocky or Stolky. Yeah. Yeah. So like, they apparently just. Yeah. It, it meant some sort of punk or something like yeah. that. So I think they just, they just inch, there wasn't such a word in Russian or something like that. So yeah. they just introduced that and it kind of caught on from there. Yeah, and then the the, the acronym came later down the line. Probably from the game, right? Yeah, from the game. And it, I don't know if it came from, I don't know if the movie introduced that as well uh, from 1979. But, um, but yeah, so... Um, the first part, the the first section of the book, we we follow uh, Redrick Schuhart, Schuhart, through the like a year in his life, mm-hmm. uh, a year or two into his life. Um, you know, he's a seasoned stalker. Like like uh, Jim said that, uh, you know, when he takes Kirill and the other guy, uh, he tells them flat out uh, from the get go, like you will listen to me. If I tell you to stop, you stop. If I tell you to bark, you bark. If I tell you to get on the floor, you drop. Mm-hmm. And uh, and Kirio, being a scientific mind, he's just more. He's just excited. He's like, oh, we get to you know like explore yeah. and things like that. But the other guy, he gets affected by the, the zone, so he becomes. He starts to babble and gets a little weird. That's why Red uh, uh, Red bops him in the nose, you know. Cause it, and then when they bring back the item that they were trying to bring, which was called what they called a full empty, which is two copper discs mm-hmm. filled with like a blue viscous jelly, uh, the he let Kirill and the other guy take the 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 acclaim for it because since he was a stalker, you know he didn't need that on his radar because mm-hmm. he as you learn as you go through the through the book, uh, Red is, he's very paranoid. He's very, he's very cautious. He's very paranoid. He, he's, cause he's been in the line of work. So I was going to say, I can see that though, being that he's the most seasoned one. Yeah. Now was Red his actual name? Because there is such a, like a, a, I think it's like the name Red or if it was a nickname, why was Red the nickname? Because his name was Redrick. Redrick and he had okay, red Okay, gotcha. And he had red hair. And he had red hair, okay. Yeah, so they just call him Red. Red, okay. Yeah. Um, and again, like, the, the book is, if, if you know, you read more through it, it's very heavy on philosophy, mm-hmm. like, kind of behind the scenes. Um, because it, it deals a lot with, you know, the, the choices of, like, do I have to do this? How do I do this? You know, do I want to make myself a <laughs> self-made man? Or do I want to help advance the world around me and so on and so forth um so we you know later on like towards the towards the 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 ending of the the first book or the first section we get introduced to another character named burbridge or aka vulture um he is a a veteran stalker older man uh he used to be you know a really good um stalker back in the day but then you find out that, uh, you know, he's gotten older in age and now he, they call him the Vulture because he takes people and they die. He leaves mm-hmm. them to die in the zone. Or if he does save them for a price. Got it. 
Uh, Burbridge is not my favorite character, but he, he's an interesting one because he, he's a clear contrast to Red. Red is a hardworking man who is just literally just trying to survive in, in this little dystopian novel, where Vulture is not. <laughs> he's a totally different, you know, uh, character in comparison. Because by section two, we skip what, like two years? Yeah, yeah. So in the first section, right, is working for the Institute, and then kind of a. I think you guys might have heard it that the, uh, his partner died from that silver string that he bumped into in the zone. So he died of a heart attack in the shower shortly after Red left. Mm. So Red was out drinking and talking to some of his other um, little stalkers and stuff like that. Or some of them were just like uh, evangelists almost claiming yeah. that the zone was evil and you know the work of the devil essentially. Yeah. And wanting to destroy all the alien tech inside and like just just try to get rid of it because it's evil. Um, but then he learns that his friend died, he's very close to him, and he just kind of loses it, goes into the drunken super, throws something called a screamer in the bar, in the middle of the bar, because... Uh, uh, somebody talk, somebody this, said something about Kiro. Oh. Uh, or somebody said something that set him off. And so he started a bar brawl, and... Yeah, I think it was the news of Hero's death. Yeah. And then also, I mean, there was a... Maybe it was later on, but the... the uh, what is it? Okay. Um, the... Uh, what is his name? Uh... I forgot his name, but he was a young kid from, you know, uh, outside of the town. He came in and was looking the, to stalk. Get, get oh, the Maltese? The Mal yeah, something like that. No, the Maltese is a is the name of one of the stalkers. Oh, uh, or wasn't he like Moldanian or something like yeah, that? Yeah, Moldanian. Yeah, yeah, Malva, Moldanian, yeah. One of those things. And he was, you know, he hit up... Was it Ernie? Or... Uh, yeah, the the barkeep. Yeah, the barkeep. Asking, like, hey, you know, I want to get into stocking. Like, who's, who's where can I go? And Ernie was like, uh, you know, he'll do anything for money. He's like, yeah, just throw him into the freaking meat grinder. As long <laughs> as, you know, yeah. if, if one out of three that come to me, you know, come back with some uh, some stuff, you know, then that's, that's still a profit. You know, it's no skin off my back if they die. Yeah. So he's sending them to Red, and then Red's like this motherfucker. Yeah. He's like, <laughs> he's just tired of people dying, really, going into the zone and stuff. Or the zone killing people. Yeah. So he throws a screamer, and then he kind of jets it out the window. And, yeah. Um, yeah, it, it, that chapter ends with him meeting up with his girlfriend, Gouda, who you find out she's pregnant. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, is that, you know, any, any stalker that's been in the zone, their kids don't come out all that right. Oh. Yeah, because they don't know if it's the zone itself, you know, causing mutations, mutagens, or the fact that, like, they delve into this, like, you know, the strange liquids in there that cause, you know, that may have mutagens. They don't know. Because the, the zone itself, they don't explain it, aside from, you know, it could be a open space, perfectly fine, but on one side, you'll see a perfectly preserved vehicle from, like, 10 years ago prior from the 
from the event, mm -hmm. but then on the other side you see one like completely rusted and old. So, you know, there might be time dilations or the the zone works very weirdly. Mm -hmm. it, like the bug traps, they move. They, so like stalkers will go in, they'll have a, a bolt or a nut, and they'll toss it, you know, what, 10, 15 feet in front of them. And then if they don't see it shoot any direction and just go straight down, they'll walk to it. And then they'll toss another one and see if there's a, you know, a bug trap. Yeah. Those bug traps are like, you know, 100 times gravity or whatever. Yeah. They just kind of, you know, you throw a bolt or whatever, not just sinks to the ground and goes deep down in there. So, like, yeah. you know, when you do that to a human body, it just like collapses them into a little tall. Yeah, <laughs> um, but but yeah, he goes to Gupta yeah. and you know they have a kid and ends up that that kid's uh, a mutant. They call her Monkey. It's oh, Maria. Yeah. Um, yeah, but you know Monkey, Monkey in like a endearing term, I guess. Yeah. Okay. She's, she's furry in the back, blonde hair. She has furry hands and like, and she's, she's got the the big pupil eyes. You know, just um, yeah. so they call her Monkey affectionately. Okay. And that's where we meet Burbridge, aka the Vulture. Like the the second um, the the second section or the second chapter, literally starts with uh, the Vulture pleading to Red, telling him that he'll give him all the riches and how to get to the Golden Sphere, uh, because his legs, uh, the the bones became mush, because oh. he he stepped into uh, hell slime, hell slime, and so the hell slime just evaporated his bones. And so, but just his bones, so he's like, well, how's my legs? And then he goes and feels them, and they're just rubbery. Because got jelly legs. He got jelly legs, and like, you know, he felt up to the kneecap, and he's like, okay, that's good enough, because I don't want to touch the rest of those legs. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so, you know, he's like, I, I immediately <laughs> thought of, like, Lieutenant Dan, and I was like, you ain't got no <laughs> but he still had them, but they were just like. Popular. I thought of Joe Swanson from Family Guy. Oh yeah. Oh boy. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, so he's crawling through the muck, but there's like patrols going on over, um, because they're in the zone illegally. It's nighttime, and um, the institute has patrols and shit. So he's got <laughs> Yeah, he's he's yeah. gotta like avoid those checkpoints and, and the spotlights and stuff. So he's like just waiting there and he's like, hurry up, it's dissolving my knees. <laughs> and like, you know, it's like worried about it spreading and shit. He's yeah. like, don't leave me, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> Not really. He didn't. Yeah. But like, you know, he's like, that don't, was, don't what, leave me. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's like, because he could easily just leave him, but... And the worst part is that Burbridge, or a.k.a. Vulture, he's holding on to all the swag. He's like, I'll give you all the swag. I'll, I'll give you everything. Just get me out of the zone. Get me with my legs intact, you know. <laughs> Don't leave me, motherfucker. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, Red had half a mind to leave him a couple times, but Red being who he is, he just put the guy on his back and crawled with him for miles to get to this checkpoint. Jesus. <laughs> Yeah, so they kind of get through that, and, uh, you know, he gets him to the butcher, which is the doctor, I yeah. guess, you know, and... and um, the the they, doctor for stalkers, because yeah. they're, they're not... Stalkers are illegal. They're considered... Legal. It's an illegal practice, so, you know, you go to the butcher, you pay him a uh, price, mm. and uh, he'll take care of you. And uh, uh, Red kind of pulls in, and, you know, the butcher's like, oh, 
so is that the vulture? And he's like, yeah. He's like, what happened? Hell, and he just kind of explains like the hell slime. He's like, oh, okay. He's like, this, we're going to give him like prosthetics. He's like, yeah, we're going to give him prosthetics. And he just like flops the vulture onto the, onto the table. And at this point, the vulture, uh, like before they got there uh, to avoid the, the checkpoint, uh, he made it look like they went fishing. And he hid all the swag under like an empty jerry, uh, jerry can of, mm-hmm. of fuel. And, uh, you know, because they seen Red so many times, you know, he made it a habit to, like, he always went fishing on X day or whatever. So the the, the patrol just didn't even pay him no mind. Yeah. It, it did Red, like, knock him out? I forget. Like, yeah. Did he punch him or some shit? I think he like, did, yeah. Just, like, socked him once. The, but like, yeah, because they wanted him to pass out. He's like, oh, yeah, he's drunk or something. I, I, don't, I don't quite remember that part really well, but, like, I know that... Um, the butcher is in it for not only the money, but also the effects of what happens to body parts in the zone. They can like use that to kind of treat other things too. I think. Yeah. And, um, like like know, the morbid curiosity, like what's gonna happen. Yeah, I guess so. And then also like scientific study. You know, they amputate those legs. They could like give them to science, like the institute. They're like, let's. Yeah, like like, like we want to research it almost. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. and um, yeah. So then, Red kind of goes back home, sifts through the loot, um, and yeah, uh, the vulture kind of gave him the sob story about oh my kids, oh my wife, and like oh I miss my wife and all this, and you know, they don't call him the vulture for nothing. He's kind mm-hmm. of like a big skis ball. And, um, you know, eat his kids and beat his, beat, wife. Beat his wife for sure. And, uh, well, I guess he never even really talked to his kids, but like he beat his wife and like that, he ended up killing her that way. Ooh, um, sure. and he, uh, he's talking about how he knows where all these maps are, or he knows all of like the secret, secret entrances items, into, yeah. the, into the zones. And he knows about this mythical, golden uh, sphere yeah. that the stalkers you know only know by legend and supposedly grants uh, those who like obtain it uh, any wish they want yeah it's, it'll, anything you wish for it'll give you so it's kind of like a blanket thing um, and he promises it to red like he, he kept does. promising it to red yeah. so red like whatever I'm saving you I'm just doing this because it, morally I think Red is conflicted because he is a scumbag and if Red was in the same shoes if he stepped in that slime he knows like the vulture wouldn't have taken him but he uh, he still does it anyway because that's his moral compass you know that's his conscious that's uh, what he's yeah. That way he is. That way he is. Yeah, yeah, essentially. And I mean, it, it kind of... Uh, uh, tells tells you a bit about Red in that sense. He always works alone, and uh, he doesn't work with other people, right? Because I think, in his mind, he's working alone because he doesn't want to cheat other people, yeah. right? Yeah. He doesn't have the, the conscience to like swindle people out of their money, but also he doesn't have uh, uh, 
the patience to like handhold them and guide them through everything. He's also looking out for himself. But the only way he can kind of balance those two things, survival and also his conscience, is by being alone, essentially, right? He can't take care of everybody, take care of himself, but he also doesn't want to um, put anybody else in danger. So, you know, that's a bit of his like one moral of the, yeah. compass. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so chapter two, like, you, you really delve into, like, red psyche quite a bit, and um, this is where we also meet um, Raspy, the, one of the other uh, broker. Uh, you kind of find out that the Institute, Raspy, uh, the Borscht, where he goes drinking, they're all places where he can sell the swag. Uh, and so uh, he, he goes to Raspy's place after he goes to the Borscht uh, with a couple of, you know, just a couple bits of swag, not enough where people can, um, you know, identify that he has items, but just enough. And at one point he gets stopped by... I think it was like a, a Swedish officer, and uh, while he's at the hotel, and he's just like, he's like, no, and I don't got nothing. And, you know, they, uh, they they hassle Red because everybody knows Red. Red is you know the he's the feisty guy, so everybody near the area knows who Red is. They know they most people know that he's a stalker, but they just kind of. I think you're confusing that was part of this first section. Oh, the first part? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Red's coming out from talking to that dude in the gotcha. shower. And then he, he runs into, like, a general or something like yeah. that. And he's like, what the hell, what are you doing here? You're still stalking? And then he's like, no, I got a fucking ID, motherfucker. Yeah. And then he, like, shows him his badge. He's like, I'm legit now. I'm on the straight and narrow. And then he's like, oh, good. I knew you would make something out of yourself. And That's then he, right. Yeah, then that he kind of lets him off. Um, in, in part two, when he's going to do the drop-off or the exchange, he's he meets uh, Noonan. Oh, yeah, Noonan. Yeah, so Noonan's coming out of the hotel. He's a rotund man. He works for the Institute or uh, yeah, on behalf, of. like a middleman of the Institute. Essentially, he's like an arms dealer. He, he fleeces and, and uh, manages uh, the, the stalkers or would-be stalkers, right? And um, works in like new technology to get swag from the zone, and then he, you know, funnels it into the institute for research and stuff. So, a bit of a longer, yeah. You know, so he he underpays the stalkers and then gets the full price from the institute, mm-hmm. and for for purposes. And then this is where he's going to go meet Raspy, who's another broker. But uh, Noonan is like, oh, if you need to, Red, come and see me. You know, I will. You know, I'll take care of you and blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And uh, so Raspy, when he meets Raspy, uh, Vulture had promised him the porcelain, uh, the porcelain artifact. And that uh, we find out later has a different kind of slime. It's not the health slime, but it's a, it's a different kind of slime. Um, because uh, at one point, the Institute tried to move the slime into a different container mm-hmm. and it just melted through the entire <laughs> the entire laboratory and killed like 30 people because it just uh it kept expanding oh, oh god and it just like took over so it, it made like one part of the institute completely unusable i was gonna say i'm sure it just completely like clogged it up so to speak yeah like, <laughs> um, yeah it was like toxic waste essentially and it like 
they put it tried to put it into like a <laughs> yeah. sealed freaking container and just like didn't cooperate with normal forms of matter or something <laughs> and it just like went through and then through the floor and then replicated and like yeah it was it was nuts <laughs> but you know I, I i thought that was the hell slime but um i think it is a hell slime mm-hmm. uh, but anyway so uh, so that happens, but then uh, I think somebody gave, if I remember correctly, towards the end of section two, somebody gave up bread. Like somebody pointed him out that uh, he had swag, and so. Um, yeah, Red, uh, after he dropped off that stuff, or he, you know, got money for it from uh, the, the blue eyed guy, uh, Raspy. Um, he was really tired. Yeah. <laughs> and, um,. He went back to the borscht. He did go back to the borscht. He was supposed to go to the bank, but he, you know, misspelled. He was just exhausted and on very little sleep, so he went to the borscht and um, he saw everybody was kind of shifty, very nervous, and stuff like that. So um, he kind of sat down and asked for a beer. Bartender was like shaking and stuff like that. So then <laughs> ends up, it's kind of like a. Uh, uh, Shit, I forgot the name of the term. <laughs> it was an ambush? Yeah, sure. Yeah, like a sting. I yeah, guess. it was yeah. a sting, yeah. Um, essentially, uh, you know, two two of the staff kind of muscled him into the back rooms, and there was a general there from the Institute. Or maybe it was like, I'm not sure. I kind of confused, like, who was the Institute, who was a, the army? The military? Yeah. Because, like, they. They kind of went hand in hand sometimes. They seem to have the same, like, it was a general or something like that, or a lieutenant, but they happened to be also in the Institute, so it was kind of weird. But, um, yeah, so, you know, they get the drop on him, and uh, he kind of throws his money, and he throws the rest of his swag, and then he's, like, about to kind of get caught. You see, he, he knows, like, all of the ins and outs of this place. He kind of jumps into a, 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 a tunnel, yeah. um, like a secret Secret tunnel. Secret tunnel that gets out of there. You know, racing underneath houses and stuff like that and through fences and yards. And, um, yeah, he just just kind of escapes, goes back to his house, gathers up some, I think it was, did you say it was like some, the hell slime or something? Yeah, the the container that had the hell slime, the porcelain, uh, some shriekers, this ring that Burbridge found that, like, you, you, you spin it, and it just it forever spins on your finger kind of thing. Well, he he sold that. So. Oh, yeah, he sold that to... Yeah, to it Rasmus. was just one thing. It was, like, in a tin box or, like, yeah. gallery porcelain or whatever. So, like, he takes that from his house. He knows that the blue-eyes guy wants this thing, essentially. So then he goes to the payphone. He says, hey, you want this thing? You got to give... You got to take care of my wife. You got to take care of my wife. And it's it's underneath this phone booth that I'm in. Take care of my wife, like, no questions asked. Make sure she's not for want on anything. And, um, yeah, and because and, I'm going to go away. He tells his wife, oh, yeah, I'm going to, it's okay. It'll only be, like, six months, maybe eight. And then he calls the guy, and he's like, yeah, I'm going to be away for, like, two or three years. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, yeah. <laughs> had it wrong. Yeah, yeah. Cause it's going to be a hot minute. Yeah, yeah. So um, then uh, he ends up giving himself up so he gets like a lighter sentence essentially but um yeah 
And then that, that kind of ends the second section. Yeah, that ends the second right. section of the book. Uh, well, uh, we'll be right back. Yeah, this will take it. <laughs> All right, and we're back to section three. Um, so section three, uh, kind of coming back from section two, uh, you know, he goes to jail, Red goes to jail. Um, so we find out Noonan, um, in that in section three that Noonan worked for like a government agency. This is where like you find out he's actual arms dealer, things like that. And uh, uh, he gets word about Burbridge, AKA the Vulture, having picnics uh, near the zone. Uh, swag is coming in, AKA stuff from the zone, uh, more than they used to. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's happening under his nose yeah. though. He submitted this report um, that, you know, his district was, like, almost immaculate in crime. The uh, smuggling had been decreased, illegal smuggling, I should say. And then um, he's kind of snuffed out all of of the, uh, uh, like, raspy and everything like that. Like, all those other dealers or... Stockers. Importers. Well, not necessarily stockers. See, they still kind of use those uh, stockers, but they're kind of dying off. So there's like an old breed of stockers, or the old generation of stockers, and then there's this new st- new stockers that are not great. They're yeah. like they're... not good at it. <laughs> and they usually just come in, die off really quickly, or go back home once they realize it's not for them, or something like that. So, yeah. Um, and then you also find out that uh, the institute has now like done like cybernetic stalkers, mm-hmm. where they send like air robots, uh, robots through via helicopter to the zones to pick up stuff. But the cost of the robotic stalker out heavily is way too much versus you know hiring one of the old old generation stalkers because the new generation you know they're garbage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're about I think they said like five or six years from getting like a return on investment to the to the robotics part so like they still rely on these um old stalkers and stuff like that yeah um but yeah so like he thinks his district's all clean uh-huh. and they haven't spotted anything illegal or anything like that and um he kind of gets called into his boss's office and he's like oh i'm gonna get patted on the back because i got i submitted a good report and then he's like Nah, bitch. <laughs> yeah, you thought. <laughs> you thought I did Yeah, he's like, nah. I I waited a bit, and then sure enough, we got reports of like two thousand extra units that came in under our nose that we didn't know about. What do you know about all this lobster claw? And he started listing off some jargon, like paper napkins or something like that. He's like, what do you know about all this stuff? He's like. I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. And, um, yeah, essentially uh, a lot of things are going on under his nose that he doesn't know about. So, yeah, he's supposed to be like a liaison. He's supposed to be the man who's getting the Institute this stuff, but apparently he's not in the middle of this. So he, Damn. Yeah, he's kind of, like, pissed off and embarrassed. And Yeah, because, like, other Institutes are getting are buying off swag from the Vulture, um, other stalkers well yeah yeah i guess in the book it's not really clear they don't say it outright like yeah who's 
responsible for what, right? They they know that all the old people, the old stalkers are like, what's his name? Vulture. Yeah. He lost both of his legs, so they were like, yeah, he's like useless. He can't go into the zone. He can't make his way through to collect things. Um, he's resigned to like doing quote unquote picnics. Yeah, quote unquote uh, picnics on the it. edge. So like tourist. Uh, uh, business sort of thing. He takes outsiders, he kind of gets to the edge of the zone, sort of shows them some bones on the edge through binoculars, and then tourists are like, ooh, scary. <laughs> yeah. And then, um, you Can, know... Occasionally throwing like a bolt into like a, a, a bug a bug zapper, and mm-hmm. you watch it like sink, and they're like, ooh, ah, and you know. Yeah. So he's kind of just, you know, doing that on the side, and then everybody else is either, you know, Dead. In jail or dead, yeah, and um, or just like not able to go back in, and and the other new people are just too new, like they they don't find anything they, when they go in, so like there's not as much stuff coming out, right? Yeah, so. none of swag. So Noonan goes to his whorehouse or his brothel to talk to his uh, uh, what do you call it? Uh, his, I guess his right hand man, uh, this big gorilla man, uh, called, uh, like, ham cat or something? Something cat. <laughs> cat hands? I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't remember. <laughs> yeah. That's what I was using, he was like, meow. But, but yeah, he, he has, like, like, giant, like... I think, is his name Kitty or something? Yeah, like something. Or, and then he has, like... Ham fists or yeah. something. Yeah, Ham cat or something like that, right? Like Ham fist kitty. It might be Ham fist kitty. Yeah, I, I and uh, and he uh, he berates him because he's like, quit ruining the girls, you know, at the brothel <laughs> because he's such a massive dude. Yeah, and uh, so like he he beats the guy up and then he asks the guy like, you know, what do you know? Is is the vulture? And he's like, no, boss. It's he's doing the picnics and. He's like, well, what about this? He's like, well, no, boss. You know, he, he doesn't know anything either. He, this guy is just a yeah. big old nonce. Yeah, even though I think he uses, the vulture uses the brothel girls um, and this, yeah. you know, ham hocks, fists, whatever. Takes He, he kind of rides along with them and watches and makes sure that they don't abuse the girls and stuff like that. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, so he's kind of just like, He's like, ah, oh, he gets drunk, too. Yeah. You know, essentially. And he's, like, quote-unquote watching the girls. But really, it's not... It's like two or three days, or a day yeah. or two, where these, these picnics he happen. can't always be watching what everybody's doing in the group. So they're thinking, or Noonan is thinking that he's... Vulture uh, is under the guise of these picnics. Uh, they call them uh, Sunday, Sunday school. Sunday school. So they're thinking that, okay, he calls it Sunday school. School, he's kind of teaching the new, new stalkers the ropes. And, and on these uh, trips, he's, they're just kind of going in at night and then coming out and stuff. So, um, and they're smuggling in swag uh, in the meantime, too. So that's kind of the theory he proposes, you know, he's just like, yeah, that's, that's probably it, because it's the only only time that somebody's getting close to the zone, really. Yeah, it, it's the only logical leap he can make, because other than that, he has no real idea. And then, uh, so, like, it, it kind of jump cuts to Noonan going to Gouda, uh, Red's wife, and then you find out Red's back. 
like oh, Red's shit. out of prison. Well, he knew he knew Red was out. Yeah, um, he'd known for I think Red was in for two or three years. I forget, but I think it was a three year chunk. Yeah, um, he'd been out for a month or two, I believe. Yeah, and he's like, yeah, you know, he keeps close to him, and uh, he kept track of him, but he never visited or anything. Yeah, that. so he's just like, yeah, he only visited you know, I'm coming, you yeah. know, saying hello, and they're real cordial, and, like, Red's happy to see him. He's like, hey, how you doing, you know? He's yeah. like, can I, good, good buddy, you know? He's like, oh, I've been out, I've, I haven't had a drink, you know, in yeah. three years, so I, I need to catch up, and then they just kind of go at it, um, uh, you know, and, and, like and then, buddies. Yeah, and then this is where you find out, like, some more of the stranger things of the zone, uh, Red's father is back. Um, he died, uh, you know, early in Red's life, but now he's back, sitting at the table. They do kind of touch that in uh, when he's doing a... He's taking a taxi yeah. in, in Section 2 or something. He's, he's like, taking a, pa- a taxi, and the taxi driver happens to mention that, like, yeah, it's some corpse got into my car, and he smelled and reeked like death. And then and it he, went away. No, yeah, he drove him to yeah. his old house, which is all boarded up, and he got out of the cab, and he tried to get in, and uh, essentially these corpses are reanimating in the zone. Yeah. So, like, they're, di- they're, di- they're dead in the zone, and then they reanimate uh, for whatever reason. Zombies. Yeah, yeah. essentially. They're, you, the scientists kind of speculate that, I mean, no, they, they did some testing where they would, like, cut off their arms. And then they came Jesus. in. Yeah they, yeah, they would come in the next morning, and the arm would be like flicking them off. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like literally, it'd just be like yeah. there, and it just wouldn't stop. And um, so apparently, you know, they, they don't need to eat. I think or something like that. They, they don't. They don't need a whole lot. They, yeah. they just kind of uh, mimic, you know, past things and. Yeah, but uh, they're like not the same. Essentially, you know, they 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 are almost like zombies. They're just kind of. Coming like, back, and they just go back to where it's familiar, and then they just kind of sit out. there like ghosts. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And then, uh, like, Red says it at one point, like, that they start off smelling horrible, and then just, I don't know where the smell, like, dissipates. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the, the smell of rot and all yeah. that, and then yeah. just gone. You get used to it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Kinda... Yeah, I think they said, like, after a few days, you don't need, you notice it. Like, I think Newton noticed it when he walked in, but then like yeah it's just because it was familiar but yeah he didn't really notice it and, and then like the the other thing that does happen is that uh, monkey uh red's daughter mm-hmm. uh, she's regressed even more like she like now she just kind of wails and Shit. Uh, and that's creepy like at, at certain points like she has a fit like a horrible fit and then the zombie dad has a fit at the same time as oh, monkey no. And so, like, while the girl's having the fit, then the zombie has the fit. And so, like, Red, Gouda, and Noonan just quietly drink and just wait for all this to pass. And once they quiet down and they settle, then it's like, they carry on, like, as if nothing happened. Mm-hmm. So. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I forget about that one. I don't, I, I, I know that the, the, the monkey was, like, hesitant towards yeah. Noonan. I think I thought that the wailing and stuff like that in unison with the zombie corpse uh, happened when Red was in the zone with Arthur. But it ha- it it happens again. Like it gets worse by the time we get to the section four. 
uh, but it the one thing that like um, Gouda kind of mentions while Red was in in jail that uh, that Monkey was just progressively getting worse, and then yeah, um, by the time that Red got back, uh, she was already at this state where she you know doesn't have literacy anymore or you know the higher functions that she used to. Mm-hmm. She's just progressively just you know de- declining, declining, basically. and then. Then she has a moment where she just goes off, and then uh, everybody just kind of pretends it's not happening, wait till it dies down, and then they have a couple drinks, and then like, ugh, and drink, drink, and then they start talking again, like as if nothing happened. Uh, yeah. So yeah, they yeah. they pretty much just caught up. I yeah. Mean... Noonan kind of throws that little nudge out there, like the the hook line of like, you know, are, are there any other stalkers? Kind of. Like not not directly like asking, but kind of fishing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But uh, Red doesn't take bait, uh, and uh, and then at one point, doesn't uh, Red in section three doesn't he go see uh, Burbridge's daughter? Uh, to... Oh, I think that was section two. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So after he gets paid. Yeah. By. Uh, so we're we're Raspy. gonna jump back to section two. Yeah. <laughs> Just jump in. After he gets paid by Raspy, he takes a cab over to Burbage's house, house where his daughter lives, mm-hmm. and there's some creepy stuff in there, but yeah. it doesn't matter. Um, but he does have like a manservant, essentially. Yeah. Um, that's a, a former stalker. Yeah, former stalker who's become crippled, indigent, essentially, and uh, that they renamed Gopher. Yeah. So like he kind of goes visits the daughter. He says, hey, hey, your dad's messed up. Like, his bone's dissolved. <laughs> Sorry. Here's here's his cut of the money. And yeah. then, um... Damn. She's like, you bastard. You could have gotten rid of him. <laughs> like, yeah. Literally, she was like, you know he's fucking evil. Like, you should have let him die in there. And, um... Like, she goes off on Red. She, like, yeah. she, she hits Red, and then, like, Red, like, takes a drink and, like, hits her back. So, yeah. like, shit. You know, and... He, he just walks away from it because that, and then again that's where like we talked a little bit ago about section two where you you enter into like red psyche a little more where he doesn't have the heart to screw over people even if they do him terrible he, he can't do it that's why he always works alone yeah so yeah he just kind of was like yeah he, i mean it might have been for selfish reasons yeah. too for the map or golden thing yeah because uh she she touched the daughter golden touches sphere. on that that you know did he promise you the golden the the golden sphere did he promise you the map like everybody else and blah 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 and that's where like she like really ramps up and mm-hmm. starts like going off on red and then so like going back to section three you know this is where like uh, you know Noonan is fishing but doesn't get anything he's he's angry about it um, and so he leaves and then. Uh, doesn't if I remember correctly, doesn't Burbridge like reach out to Red at one point? Uh, no, or yeah, was it his Burbridge kid? was already there yeah. um, when Noonan came in, but Noonan, uh, sorry, Red was arguing with Burbridge yeah. about going, possibly going into the zone, I think. And he was like, no, I'm not fucking doing that, or something to that effect. It was like at the end of an argument, and Noonan was kind of in the background and watching them, and then. 
Um, Burbridge came back. He's like, hey, my good buddy, Noonan, how you doing? Blah, blah, blah. The whole buddy-buddy stuff. Yeah, know? yeah. Very, very, like, you know, fuck you. Yeah, yeah <laughs> it's, sure. It's, it's almost, yeah, you need to, like, it, like, if nothing was happening, you know, there wasn't even any, uh, you know, what is that, the, like, conscious uh, yeah. narrative of, mm-hmm. you know, like, these motherfuckers are, yeah. you know, uh, um, screwing me over or something like that. But, <laughs> you know, it was just, like... Uh, it was, like, old time. Like, Red was just literally just trying to have a conversation with Noonan mm-hmm. and uh, and Burbridge. Burbridge was asking him things, but Noon- Red was like, no, we ain't gonna do this. And then uh, eventually Noonan leaves, and uh, you know, again we, we we touch upon like the whole the daughter and everything. And this is where like we start touching more on the philosophical side of things that of um, well, kind of sort never, of. I never got much philosophicalness well, <laughs> out of it, really. Like, yeah, I always I always when I heard the story, it seemed very straightforward. Like it's it's. Uh, at least to me, like I'm yeah. probably a layman, but like you know, it was like about survival, and you know, these people and what they do to survive. You know, obviously they have like uh, the uh, Noonan, who's like yeah. took the corporate way out, um, and then we have like the stalkers who do anything they can do to survive, um, make themselves self-made men. Yeah, so like self-sufficient, right? Yeah. Um, and they don't want to rely on a boss or something yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know. I guess in that sense it is kind of philosophical in that sense. But, I mean, and, and Well, I, I thought like the more the philosophy of it would be like, are you willing to burn the world down to save your kid? Because mm-hmm. that towards the end of Section 3 is where, like... Uh, <laughs> Just put it down, dude. Keep it down. <laughs> uh, anyways, uh, it, it kind of like the deterioration of monkey and stuff like that. Right. Um, Red remembers the, you know, the golden sphere and things like that, and um, and that's where like Burbridge is like, you know, you could take my kid, my youngest, and Archie or Arthur, and uh, all this other stuff, and. Uh, then we'll jump to like section four. Like it, it just does kind of a quick jump cut, and it's pretty abrupt. It, uh, I will say that kind of the the skips between sections kind of threw me off because it's like um, you know first we're with red through all of these, and we do have time skips, but it's pretty linear. Then we go into like a first person with Noonan almost, and his like a good quarter of the stories with him and then like trying to him trying to detective his way to where all these these uh this uh swag swag is coming from and and then we get jump back to to red and that's it's, it's in the, and at that point it's skipped ahead even further and red has uh this map he has he's out in the zone at night already yeah um, with with arthur with arthur uh which is the vulture's son, his youngest, and uh, he's uh, just noting how Arthur is a good listener and he's real quick to react. And, yeah. um, but he knows the- that he's gonna have to 
essentially make a choice, uh, sacrifice. Him. Yeah, um, you know, he's he's there for that reason. Really. Yeah, to he's gonna he's gonna w- burn the world to save his monkey because to him it doesn't he doesn't care about Archie. You know, he says he doesn't care about Archie, mm-hmm. but in the long run, in his inner monologues, um, as Red, like Who's Archie. Arthur. Oh. <laughs> he, he, call, he calls him Archie, like, twice. Oh, okay. Yeah. And, uh, well, Burbage calls him Archie, Red calls him Arthur. Um, so, like, whenever he, he talks, talks to him as Archie, he's thinking, like, the vulture. For sure. Yeah, but yeah. then when he refers to him as Arthur, and, and this is where we get, like, the more deeper inner monologues of, of Red, kind of like, do I really want to, you know, throw this kid into the meat grinder for my monkey? And then, like, as as it kind of progresses, as they kind of progress through the zone and stuff like that, he saves Arthur, and he's like, "Why did I do this? Why did I save him?" You know, and uh, and he's like, "Well, it's for Monkey, you know, and it, it it's always been for Monkey." And but at the same time, he's like, "This kid will be turn out to be a good stalker," you know, and, and so like you see the dichotomy of like the parent wanting to save the child mm-hmm. and then somebody wanting to see another person like grow into the future and move on and have a life so yeah yeah i mean you know it's kind of like a trolley situation yeah, yeah. The, the trolley car situation or something you know where um he's gonna save his own um because yeah he's just more connected to her you know yeah That's, yeah um, so, yeah, they, they go through Hellfire to kind of, uh, literally, yeah, they, yeah, there's, like, a point in which, you know, they catch fire, and, like, get, yeah, get pretty badly burned, pretty yeah. well, and then, you know, drown in slime, essentially, and then, as lightning bolts, know, like, streak across their, over their heads, like, less than a foot over their heads, oh, no, yeah, because the zone yeah. is crazy, yeah, um, it's random shit, kind yeah, of coming at you, and uh, yeah, they finally make it to this uh, valley between these two mountains, and they, they have to follow certain paths according to the map that Vulture gave them. And uh, you know, Arthur thinks he's there to wish his dad's legs back. I think, yeah. if I'm not mistaken. But uh, you know, he sees this sphere. It's a giant sphere, actually. It's not like a handheld thing or something. Yeah, I it's believe massive. It's, it's huge. And um, he's like amazed by it. You know, as he's like in awe of the spectacle. He's just like drawn to it, and he's like, "I wish for you know everybody to be happy." Is what his his wish was, right? He had to well, wish for something from uh, from the deep within him. Yeah, yeah. He needed something. He needed a apparently like the sphere knows your deepest desires, and if yeah. you don't speak true to it or something like that, it's gonna it's not gonna grant your wish. So yeah. he speaks true, and he just wants everybody to be happy. Yeah. Um, um, as he's running towards this thing, uh, the trap, there's like a last trap that, that gets triggered. The, um, the meat grinder. The, the same one that Gopher went through and survived, that geez. that Vulture pulled him away from. Mm-hmm. Quote unquote. Nobody believes, nobody believes Vulture about this, but Gopher believes that Vulture saved uh, Gopher. Mm. Because Gopher, that was the last thing Gopher saw, Vulture pulling him away. But, uh, but yeah, so it just picks up Arthur, essentially, and then it says, I think, like, 
twists him like a paper towel or like yeah. a rag, essentially, and then he just crumbles him and throws him. Yeah, it, it literally just turns him into a pile of mush meat yeah. off to the side. And uh, so when when Red gets to the orb, uh, he has a a literal philosophical crisis of his own because he's like he doesn't know how to articulate what he wants. He doesn't understand, like, he, he, he berates himself, he fights himself so deeply because he's just like, I don't know how to articulate this, I don't know what I want, I don't know what I really want, and then finally from the depths within himself, like like Jim said, he just kind of, I wish for everybody to happy, be happy and live, you know, a full life, and the book just ends. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Like, there's not, it doesn't there's tell not you. much closure. If any, okay, no, yeah. I'm, like, I'm not going to lie, like, I'm kind of glad I did not finish this book, because I think I would have been, like... Very bad. What yes. the... Fudge sticks, man, like... Yeah, he, uh, it, it is it is an abrupt ending, really. Yeah. And it, it does kind of leave you guessing as far as what actually happened. Because I almost saw it, when I initially heard it, I was like, oh, dude... This this meat grinder is just something that happens to everybody who comes there. And, yeah. <laughs> and like you you say your wish to this orb and then you like it meat grinds you and then you think you got your wish or something and then like you yeah. know, it ends up you're dead. Yeah. But like uh yeah, I don't know. I just at the end of it he just says that and then you're it's so over. He, he either gets meat grinded or he it, it actually fulfills his wish or something to that effect. It's, it's kind of like... It's open to interpretation, I guess. I don't even know. <laughs> like it, Maybe, I don't know. Yeah, yeah there's, like there's, there's like a big question as far as like even... Like like the vulture. He knew where this orb was. He knew how to get there. And apparently he sack, he'd been there and, and made, made a, wish. a wish. Made a wish. I, they didn't say what he made a wish for. Um, but I mean... It, I don't know if it was like to be extra lucky or something like that, but yeah, um, because he was like an old veteran of the zone, so like I don't know if he just like, was able to get around it or yeah. something like that. I don't know, but um, but yeah, he, uh, yeah, it's it just was that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's one of those weird things because like one thing that is hinted throughout the book is that the vulture made a wish, like mm-hmm. Jim said. But what was that wish? And I don't think it's him to... Huh? No? <laughs> no, no, no. Like, I mean, in the... Uh, you infer... I, you infer I, I, yeah, it. Yeah, I'm inferring. Because, like... He, he, he knows where the, where the golden sphere is. And then, I guess... Red knows that... Uh, Gopher was... Survived the meat survived grinder. Survived the meat grinder. But, like... Aside from that, I mean, it seems kind of commonplace. I don't know. It just is like I don't know what what the vulture was thinking, sending his son out there. Like, why did he do that? Why didn't he just like send some other young kid? <laughs> yeah, and, and that's like that's one of the big things because like vulture says it. Oh, take my youngest. You know, doesn't matter. Kind of scenario. Oh, like he, no, he didn't. Did he, did he not say that? Or? Yeah, yeah. He says it at one point. Like he, like to to tempt Red. He's like, oh, take my youngest. You know. It doesn't matter. Take my youngest. No. And, yeah. When was that? Uh, towards towards the the begin the end of um, section three. Was that what they were arguing about? Yeah. Oh, okay. I missed it. It was kind of like back and forth. 
course. Like, yeah. it was real quick. I mean, like, yeah, I, I know they were, like, arguing about something. I guess that that could have been it when they were uh, talking about it. Like, maybe they were saying, like, yeah, use Arthur or something. But... Yeah. And, like, in Section 4, like, when Fred is, you know, going with through the zone with Arthur, he's like, oh, you probably get a nickname, like, Babyface Arthur or Pretty Boy or something. And, you know, again, that's where you, like, fall the dichotomy of, like, you know, save the kid or, you know, uh, save monkey or, you know, keep this kid alive. You know, because, again, we, we delve into, like, Red's psyche of, like, he doesn't have the heart to, you know, to do it. But then at the end, he does go through with it. Mm -hmm. So, like... Yeah, I don't know. I guess it makes you question what makes a good man or is there such yeah. a thing as a good man? You know, he <laughs> in the end, he, he does say, like, hey, I'm... I feel like I'm a good man because I saved the vulture and like I, I uh, want to save my family and I want everybody to be okay and this, this stuff, you know. And yeah, um, yeah I guess um, I don't know. I, I just uh, yeah. I, I guess I wanted a little bit more on that. Yeah. Uh, to be touched on, you know, like maybe even an after. What is was it? Like prologue? An epilogue. Epilogue, yeah, yeah. An epilogue. Um, you know, just to kind of touch what actually happened or something. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't think we'll ever get that, and that kind of sucks. Cause, no, but, that's fine. Yeah. I, I'm cool with that, because, like, then you could get other adaptations. Like, yeah. This is, what, a 50-year-old book? Yeah. Kind of, yeah. Yeah? Yes, it is. Yeah. It's 72, so, yeah, that would be 51-year-old book. Yeah. But I mean, like, yeah, it's it is almost kind of like a good um, world that this uh, yeah, these are, uh, authors the kind of built. Brothers, yeah, 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 and like, you know, similar to like Tolkien, where like he just makes everything up and then you kind of are thrust into it, right? Yeah, um, you know, he set he sets up all these set pieces, I guess, you know, and and it's kind of the post-apocalyptic alien invasion sort of thing where you can be you have all of these niche kitsch things where they have all this slang for stuff you know and, yeah um all these weird rules and nicknames and, and uh, uh theory or what is it mythos yeah the mythos yeah and um yeah you just kind of thrust into it so i thought that was really interesting the world you built i just thought uh um it was a very simple story, and uh, yeah, yeah, it left me wanting a little bit more, I guess. But yeah, yeah. Uh, on my end, I, I I wanted more from it because the, the world itself was so intriguing to me. I wanted to know more mm -hmm. about the zones, the all the different things, the different stalkers seen, because at certain points, you know, they do talk about the older stalkers. Like at one point, one of them pulling a. Uh, uh, what do you call it? They, they use a landmine detector and it goes completely wrong and then they stop buying them and you know like how did these stalkers learn their trade mm -hmm. you know to get to the point where like we get to red you know so you need like a prequel novel for yeah kind of like a prequel novel like like the the beginnings of the stalkers and how like Burbridge like before he became the vulture because apparently he was known as like strongman before he was known as Vulture. I, I don't even... I think you could just go 
even in the future or something with yeah. different characters entirely find out what it's like a hundred years from then like maybe it spreads or something like that or um, people are just starting to find more things or something or develop the technology or something like that but yeah I thought it was pretty interesting though I mean yeah. um, uh, pretty quick the writing was good because <laughs> you know it was very I mean the, the translation I suppose I should I should say because you know it's originally written in Jer or Russian, Russian. so mm -hmm. um, translation seemed good and um, uh, very direct story. <laughs> so I, I thought it, I liked it. I think the translation is such an important thing because I remember reading um, Mountain of the Dead and I could not get through it because the translation was so choppy. Yeah, it was so like wait. What? And I'm sure it flowed because I think, and I, I want to say that's Russian too, because I want to say it took place in 1959 in Russia, mm -hmm. um, and the translation was really rough. So the, I think that's also like a good thing that it was a smooth translation because that can that, that I know like that can be a little like yeah what <laughs> yeah yeah and uh, I, I I don't know I'm, I'm not a uh... I'm not literate. No, uh, <laughs> I can't read. Um, I know this is a bad time to bring this up in the middle of a book club meeting, but I can't read. <laughs> um, no, but like you know, it's. Uh, uh, I, I guess I haven't run into that. You know, yeah. the worst I can think of is like is Bruno Mars is gay or something like that. <laughs> you know, like, where, where is the bad translation? Yeah. Uh, Look like. Um, oh, it's does Bruno Mars. Is yeah, gay. does Bruno That's Mars is gay. Um, but yeah, yeah, no, I thought it was fun. Uh, George, do you, do you have any opinions to toss out everything that you've heard? Yeah, now that you've heard the whole book. Yeah, <laughs> I was gonna say, I kind of feel like you read it. Yeah, like, like, you explained it perfectly. <laughs> <laughs> no, like. I think, like, like, like Grace said, like the translation is very important to the flow of the book. Uh, I just need to give it a second chance because, like, when the, like the book started with the interview, so many things. I was like, okay, what is, what is this like term? Like, why are they calling it this? Or, like, I was completely lost at the beginning, mm -hmm. and that completely just like threw me off. Like the Green Lantern movie with Ryan Reynolds? Where yes. they just try to shove like decades of lore into <laughs> you? Yes. Is it? Oh yeah, it doesn't start off with like, yeah. these are the Green Lanterns and they're police officers of the galaxy and this one's crashing and noise. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Welcome to Earth, bitch. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> Earth. Yeah. Yeah, and that just kind of like threw me off. Uh, and I just, after that, I just couldn't get into it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's tough, you know, when you, when they start you off right off the deep end of yeah. the, the world they're trying to build and stuff like that. So, yeah, we'll take it. That's what I needed, more world building. Mm -hmm. 
This was just like, here it is, bitch. <laughs> yeah. Literally, like, we're not going to explain you're anything gonna, to you. You're going to have to learn. Yeah, you're just going to have to kind of like it. You're thrust in. Welcome just to like, the Rosa Picnic. Here's story. Yeah. Go. <laughs> yeah. You're, you're with these guys coming in on, like, you, coming I in guess, hot. Yeah. yeah, I guess you would be, you're supposed to relate more towards the scientists who haven't been in the zone yet, and you're, this guy's supposed to be guiding you, but it's very, like, stop. Fucking listen to me. Don't touch this. Yeah. You know, I'm gonna punch you in the nose if you keep on talking or don't pay attention. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I can get that. Yeah. And, and personally, like, I love those kind of books that you just get thrust into the deep end because I want to know how, like, it, it shapes out. You know, that's just me. That's that's a personal favorite uh, when it comes to novels and things like that, like, where you just jump into the deep end of the world and then you, you get the glimpses of it because it makes you want more. It makes me want to explore the ideas of it more. I get that, but I'm also very... Like, and it's one thing being, like, thrown into a novel, and it's almost like the prologue, so then it starts everything to explain everything, and I think that's where I just got... I really don't think my opinion in this one should really matter, just being that I really didn't read it fully, mm -hmm. but just based on what I read, I just... A lot more explanation would have helped me kind of get the gist of what was going on. Mm -hmm. I got... Like, I, like George said, like, I got very lost in this. I was like, yeah. I... <laughs> so you're, I'm like, so aliens. Okay, got it. Yeah, when you message me, you know, it's like it means alien dystopian, and you know, because for me, dystopian is more of something along the lines of like the book The Road, mm -hmm. something along like those lines. For me, this was like, okay, the aliens were there, but everybody still seems to be functioning, even though you know what I mean. <laughs> they like, do bring that up. Yeah, how how people found out there was an alien right. civilization, and, yeah. and then everybody just. Kind worked of, around it. yeah like and so There's for a, me, me I didn't, it wasn't dystopian to me for me i was like but okay no everyone like yeah they were there but then all of a sudden they were like gone and like you said like but for me like in this book like the world didn't necessarily stop yeah and for me like for just more on the dystopian end it's like i said it has to be something like along the lines of like the road or like the walking dead where like something like the world is literally not functioning anymore mm -hmm. you know what i mean here they were still functioning there was still government. There was still a government. There was still, you know, um, police and rules and everything, you know. So I, I guess I just didn't, being thrown into it, I was just kind of like, okay, but there's, there, again, with the lack of explanation, too, like, I'm, I'm cool like, to be, be thrown into something, but normally there's, like, there has to be side note, to it, yeah. you know what I mean? Side note, like, it's this because, or, like, in this, you know, Basically explaining that world a little bit better yeah. would have probably had me like ease into it a little bit more. Yeah, because sometimes dystopian, you don't need the world to stop. Think of like you know, uh, I, I guess it's like Mad Max. You know the well, even on Mad Max, everything the, went yeah, to shit, everything went to shit still. Like, yeah, no governments, no rules, no rules or anything. Yeah. Like yeah, you know, like I get like dystopian can be like in different ways, yeah. but again, like I. For me personally, I didn't feel the dystopian on this part, and I really don't feel like it was so much a dystopian novel at all. To me, it was more like futuristic. Exactly. Exactly. So, like, I guess one thing that kind of calls that is the location. They don't really go outside of, or tell you the state of the world outside mm -hmm. of the city, right? Mm -hmm. So, like, everything is about the zone and 
every yeah. the city right. near the zone and right. how it's impacted and like you know everybody gets fucked up because of the stuff they bring out of the zone and shit like that um it is similar it seems like the like reading through the book it seems like the world is almost like 1984-ish dystopian mm-hmm. style where there is a system of government and everybody has a job and a place um some of the characters they rarely go into the characters outside of stalkers or brokers or things like that but when they do they describe them as like you know fat americans who (laughs) (laughs) i mean they don't go into nationalities but they're like fat overweight very judgmental (laughs) they they describes one kid covered in chocolate saliva from eating a candy bar and he's just like fat like a slob that's more willy wonk Yes, he he, yeah. he does remind me of Augustus Gloop. And, uh, but, like, literally, I think it was, like, three characters he goes into describing. Yeah. Um, and, like, one man who was, like, trying to smoke, and then the lady berates him, and then he's, like, fucking hag, and then he, like, elbows him. But they're all, like, huge fat people yeah. who are in the system. But, like, um, yeah, it, but outside of that, it... it reminded me almost of like a 1984 dystopian where that is a dystopian i feel at least because even though there is a government big brother watching everything and stuff like that it's still not the world is not great (laughs) like they're there it's uh it's uh, authoritarian dictatorship that's like completely controlling the civil of its uh, kind kind of like a demolition man-esque Wow, well, yeah, I guess. But, like, oh, yeah, yeah. So, but, I mean... Huh? No, no, no. Good one. <laughs> oh, were you talking about Taco Bell or something? <laughs> no, no, so like, like... The three shells? Or... <laughs> <laughs> no, like, like, we couldn't believe, like, in, like, the Motion Man, early 90s, like, like, ah, oh, that'll never happen. It's happening now. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. But, yeah, yeah, it's, you know, um, yeah, so, I mean, in, in, like Jim said, the you don't hear the, anything about the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. So, like like you said, you know, Big Brother watching, everybody has their place. So everybody, every cog has a place uh, mm-hmm. to keep the world, that particular little world turning. But the rest of the world, how is it? Is the rest of the clock broken? We don't know. Yeah, they don't dive into it. I, don't. I mean, I think that the, they call out to the point I mentioned before. That. I mean, like, I think, like, the books center more around the characters than the overall, overall world around them mm-hmm. yeah yeah it is i mean in that sense it's uh describing how humans and human beings react to change right so mm-hmm. how adaptable we are in um you know when cat you know this cataclysm happens do we just crumple up and like accept our fate or something or do we it seems like the human race monopolizes it and manipulates it and perverts it to its own means of destruction or you know uh selfishness or whatever yeah. you know it's it's just there uh, for uh, yeah. consumption i guess the the, adapt, the adaptation of the of the of people around it and how they handle handle said situation but uh any closing thoughts arguments questions comments concerns no no mm-hmm. like i still need to give a second chance but <laughs> The narrator is really good. Uh, that's Steve, Stephen Weber. Stephen Weber, yeah. Um, 
But yeah, I would give him. Give him is that the same guy that did Wings? I think it is. Wings. There was an old show called Wings. Not old, but you know, like nineties called Wings, and there was an actor David Weber. Oh, I wonder if that's him. Well, it's, this is Stephen. <laughs> I, I could be totally wrong. Yeah, like for for the one that I read or the one that I uh, listened to, it was narrated by Robert uh, Forster, who you know again a little bit more New Yorkish. So, like the characters had a, a twinge of like Brooklyn and New York style accents, which was kind of fun. Uh, and, and you know, the, for the better part of the the book, I mean, uh, yeah, it, it it was rather entertaining, but. Um, for our next uh, book upcoming, we'll be reading, uh, what is the name of the book? Cycle of the Werewolf by Stephen King. Yeah, so keep an eye out that for in December. In December. Uh, this should premiere towards the end of the month of November, and we'll be seeing everybody soon. Bye. Bye. Bye.